Hello and welcome to a special H1N1 Influenza podcast. I'm Richard Lane. I'm joined by our in-house expert, John McConnell, who is editor of The Lancet Infectious Diseases, as many of you will know. John, a few things to to discuss, and we've published some content on the Lancet's website for, for speed of publication, obviously. But just the general situation as it is at the moment in terms of the outbreak. Where are we today? Which is Wednesday, May the 6th. Wednesday, May the 6th, in the afternoon of, we are at around 1,800 confirmed cases worldwide. 31 deaths. Uh, 29 of those 31 deaths have been in Mexico, as have around half the confirmed cases. And then the countries uh, after Mexico uh, that have had the most cases are the USA with about 614, Canada 165, Spain is 73 and the UK 28, everybody else in the world. The other twin, let's see, what would that be? One, two, three, three. The other 18 countries in the world that have got confirmed cases are, are still all at uh, single figures. So that's that's 23 countries in the world that have had confirmed cases. And the only country outside of Mexico that has had uh, deaths reported is the USA, which has now had two deaths reported. But by and large, we seem to be looking at a pattern of disease which is not dissimilar from the severity of uh, seasonal flu. So we're in a slightly different, like probably a, a less bad situation than, than we were anticipating being in a week ago. Well, I think so. Uh, certainly the, uh, the the number of uh, deaths, which at the time I think we were really looking at figures of um, suspected, uh, the number of the number of deaths doesn't look anything like as bad as it did uh, as it did one week ago. There was one additional death report today in the the USA, but apart from that, I don't think there's been any deaths reported outside Mexico in the past week. And John, in terms of the way individual countries are responding to the outbreaks of this H1N1 flu, there seem to be some um, contrasts into some of the sort of modes of action that have been taken from the culling of pigs in Egypt to some countries saying that the restriction of travel is a good thing to school closures here in the UK. Some schools have been closed for up to a week. What's the situation there and how, how are people responding and are they following international guidelines? Well, there's certainly been school closures in the UK, in the United States and in uh, Mexico. There is um, some evidence that this may well be a beneficial thing to do in the uh, early stages of the pandemic and then it may slow down the spread of the pandemic, buy us some time to um, to, to develop uh, a vaccine, uh, and and may have some effect on the, um, the, the, the eventual magnitude of the pandemic. A lot of that evidence, though, of course, comes from previous pandemics, but the most recent of those was 40 years ago, and our ability to, to manage pandemics uh, with uh, antiviral drugs has uh, changed quite considerably since then. So the uh, the evidence on school closures is, is uncertain. Travel restrictions, my own personal feeling is that the time for travel restrictions has well passed uh, is is that we the the virus is seems to be pretty widespread around the world and that there's very little point in in travel restrictions anymore uh, some countries are certainly continuing to screen incoming international passengers uh, whether they're actually turning up confirmed cases yet i i don't really know but i i suspect that will continue for some time as much as anything because governments must appear to be doing something there is no evidence to support the culling of pigs there's no no evidence to support the um um, import bans on on um, 
uh, on pork, for example. And John, how do you think the UK is responding? Well, I think we're doing a fairly good job. We certainly seem to be following the uh, the guidelines which we um, we said we would follow in the pandemic preparedness plan. The uh, the government's pandemic preparedness plan runs to 141 pages, so they've put a lot of thought into it, and that's excluding the various annexes dealing with how local authorities, healthcare trusts, even voluntary organisations should uh, respond in the uh, in the event of a pandemic. I am a little concerned about how long we can persist with this policy of using the antiviral drug to, if you like, ring fence outbreaks um, in, in schools. We certainly have sufficient doses to treat around about half of the UK population. From what I can determine from um, from a little bit of research, we've, we've probably only got about enough Tamiflu, uh, that's Oseltamivir, to prevent infection in about 2 million or so of the UK population. Should this uh, infection become much more widespread on a national basis, then at some stage we're going to have to say, OK, we can't uh, do prophylaxis anymore we've got to go over to, to treatment mode if you look at the various algorithms on the uh, the health protection agency website they do make make it clear that this policy of uh, prophylaxis is something which they can only really persist with in the in the early stage of a pandemic so at some stage there's there's got to be a, a switch over to a to a treatment policy and john what are priorities if you like for our the global sort of line of inquiry particularly given that the original outbreak was in mexico and it's in mexico where there have been um, the most deaths. Do we know anything about that specific Mexican situation that can shed light on the way this outbreak is happening in other parts of the world? Yeah, I think we've got to look at what the real total of cases has been in Mexico. I suspect there's been substantial underreporting. I suspect there's been mild cases ongoing in Mexico, perhaps even since sometime in March. And if that is the case, then it's possible that the mortality rate in Mexico is actually no different from from what it has been in the rest of the world. It's just that it's been going on longer and there's been more opportunity for people to become infected. So it looks worse. We also, of course, will need to do the virology to see if there's anything special about the um, the, the virus strain, uh, whether it differs inside and outside Mexico, I, I doubt it personally. But whether there's anything about the virus strain that it makes it particularly pathogenic towards human beings, or as it appears to be at the moment, no more pathogenic than seasonal virus strains. And finally, John, looking ahead, what other priorities are there? Vaccine development, obviously, I guess, is a key thing, but that will take some months, won't it, to come through? The seed stocks of virus are being generated at the moment. It will take anything up to two or three months even to produce a, um, a, a, a virus which can then be grown in vast quantities to make vaccines. So I, I don't think if we decided to go over to vaccine production for a pandemic vaccine. I don't think we'd have that for uh, at best for probably closer to six months. And, and we would actually need to take the decision to turn over the world's production capacity for vaccine onto this pandemic strain. And I, I don't think the WHO are going to do that until they move to the um, to phase six of their pandemic alert system. And phase six indicates that they believe that there is a uh, pandemic going on for the first time since 1968. So they may well be a little bit reluctant to, to declare that because it will have implications for the uh, capacity we have to produce a, a, a seasonal vaccine. Thank you very much, John. And we'll keep you all posted with developments we'll be publishing content through the lancet and no doubt obviously the lancet infectious diseases as well online we'll keep you posted thanks very much for listening to this special podcast about h1n1 flu